0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Rehabilitation Reimagined. I'm your host, Nikki McCance, Doctor of Physical Therapy, and this is episode number two. this podcast was inspired by my work as a physical therapist in a neurologic-based rehabilitation clinic. Each and every day, I have the opportunity to use the expertise that I've gained through my training to guide my clients and their loved ones on a journey that can sometimes be fraught with uncertainty and emotions. Although I am a true believer that the work we do as PTs is incredibly important and essential, I have come to recognize that the best way to approach patient care is through a team approach. I've been faced many times with questions I don't yet know the answers to or the realization that another type of specialist may be just what we need to burst through that plateau. I've witnessed how invaluable it is for the individuals I work with to feel supported and to meet others who have been through similar experiences, because no matter how much compassion and empathy I bring to our interactions, I will never claim to truly understand what it is like to walk in a pair of shoes I've never even tried on before. So this project has an ambitious aim to increase access to knowledge and information about rehabilitation and resources for optimizing quality of life for persons living with a neuromuscular and neurologic disorder or injury. To reach clinicians who want to learn more about the breadth of resources available to support the whole person that they're serving and to provide a platform for storytelling and sharing as a way to remind each and every one of us that though we may not see ourselves in any or many of the people surrounding us, there's always someone out there who can relate. I'm excited to have you along on this journey as we cultivate and curate the content of this podcast and reach out to people around the country and the world who will hopefully find this information just when they need it the most. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode number two, and the first episode where I'm gonna be sharing some information and giving you guys a little lesson on neuroanatomy and neurophysiology, just to get us going on uh, some of the topics we're gonna be talking about on the podcast. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the first podcast, I'd really recommend you go back. It's not very long, but it does give an introduction to why I started this podcast and what I hope to achieve through it. And I think it'll give you a chance to know what to expect moving forward and what kind of content you can expect to listen to. So if you're listening to this episode when it first comes out, it is April of 2020 and I'm sure that every single one of you out there is feeling the burden and the fear and the panic and the stress of the current COVID-19 or coronavirus situation. I think no matter where you are in the world, you're probably not immune to the effects of it, whether you're out there on the front lines treating patients or working in the grocery stores and all the other essential industries that we need to keep this place running and to keep everybody alive and, and you know, getting their basic needs met. Or if you're doing your part in trying to stay home and go out in the community as little as possible, I know every single one of us is really feeling the stress and the uncertainty of how long is this going to last? What is it going to look like when we finally do, you know, get to come out of our houses again and get back to some of our normal routines. And then of course the question of, is this going to be a regular occurrence? So, You know, I'm hoping that everyone is finding some ways to take care of yourself. Uh, As a healthcare provider, I'm still working and seeing patients and we're doing everything that we can to minimize the risk to both staff and patients and their family members. But I'm sure that many of us will continue to feel the effects of this for a long time to come. And I do hope that some of those long-term effects are positive. I know that there have been so many examples of kindness and community and people taking care of each other. Uh, that have been kind of shown on social media and hopefully you're just seeing those firsthand in your community and hopefully some of those practices will continue to carry forward. But as we continue to move on uh, during this time of uncertainty, don't forget to think about and reach out to the people in your community who maybe don't have as big of a support system or maybe aren't able to get around and move around as easily and take care of the things that they would typically maybe get some help for that isn't available to them anymore. Obviously, we have to think about safe ways and make sure we're not putting anybody at risk. But if there's something you can do, even just making a phone call or, you know, reaching out and seeing if you could pick up some groceries or take care of something outside of their house for them, um, I know a lot of people could use an extra set of hands and and maybe just a, a thoughtful conversation. So with that, I, I hope that everyone is staying safe and staying healthy and, and taking care of yourselves and each other. And we're going to go ahead and uh, get started with the episode content. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started on the main topic of the podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the nervous system and the neuromuscular system. Consider this a very basic overview of what's going on in your body, and it's going to be kind of a foundation for understanding Uh, more about different types of neurologic and neuromuscular diseases and disorders and why different types of injuries or different types of diseases affect the body the way that they do. I'm a big advocate in understanding as much as possible about what's going on with your body. Now, I'm sure many of us have consulted Dr. Google before and gone down the internet wormhole trying to research, you know, symptoms that we have, or if you just had a new diagnosis, or maybe, you know, you have a child or a family member that just learned that they have, you know, this new disease or injury, or maybe there's a new birth condition um, in a new member of the family. And it's really easy to get lost in the information that is out there on the internet. And a lot of times, Unless you have, you know, a medical degree or an advanced degree of some kind, it can be really hard to kind of put that information together in a way that helps you, as opposed to stresses you out more, or you know, potentially gives you, um, you know, even more confusion and feel even less empowered about what to do with it. So for the healthcare providers or therapists out there that might be listening to this, understand that this is a pretty basic overview. It's intended for everyone to just have um, a good foundational understanding of what's going on here in the nervous system. So as you've probably figured out, if you have been listening to the beginning of this episode, uh, I am a physical therapist and I have a doctorate of physical therapy, which is the A typical graduating degree for anyone who has graduated from pt school you know anytime recently but i also have a board certification in neurologic physical therapy so what that basically means is that after graduating and working for a few years i dove back into the books and the research and spent an insane amount of time learning about kind of uh the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology at a much greater depth and then also studying a lot about the research uh, that tells us how we can best address and treat these types of diseases and injuries and disorders that I encounter in my practice. So a lot of the information that I'm going to share with you today has come from that background and the information that I learned through that process and I find it's really helpful to share with the people that I'm working with uh, to help them have a better understanding of why I'm asking them to do what they're doing and also to understand uh, you know, what's going on inside of their bodies. Okay, so let's talk about the nervous system. So the nervous system can be broken down into two basic areas. So you have the central nervous system, which basically consists of your brain and your brainstem and your spinal cord, which runs down the vertebrae in your back. And then you also have the peripheral nervous system, which refers to the nerves that leave those main areas of the central nervous system and travel out to the rest of your body. It consists of motor nerves that carry information to make the muscles move. And then you also have sensory nerves that bring information from the outside world through your skin and your body into the brain to be interpreted. Part of the peripheral nervous system also includes the autonomic nervous system. So that would be the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems, which control our flight or fight responses. So if you've ever been startled by somebody and your heart rate shoots up, or if you're feeling really relaxed and your breathing feels a little bit slower, or maybe you're getting cold and you're uh, getting goosebumps on your arms, those are all functions that are regulated by the autonomic nervous system and are for the most part outside of any of our voluntary control. Although you can have some control over breathing rate and heart rate if you're being kind of conscious of it. But in general, those are functions that are intended to keep us alive and keep all of our baseline functions going well. So as you can see there's a lot of different parts of the nervous system that um, play a role in how we move and how we function as human beings and all those places can be a target or an area that disease or injury can have an effect on which leads to downstream effects in the way that uh, we function as, as people and as humans. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the neuromuscular system. So the nervous system is kind of like a two-way highway. You have sensory information traveling from the skin and going into the spinal cord in the brain. For instance, if you put your hand accidentally on a hot stove, uh, the sensors in the skin are going to register that information. It's going to quickly travel into the spinal cord and up to the brain so that a reaction can happen very quickly to have you pull your hand off of that hot surface before you get injured. You also have outgoing information and a lot of times that is information going out to muscles. So for instance, if you want to pick up a glass of water, information is going to travel from your brain through the spinal cord into the arm and to the muscles to tell the right combination of muscles to move so that you can grasp that glass of water and you can lift it up without spilling it. So the nervous system is really intimately connected with the muscular system the muscles are the things that we need to stay upright to move around to accomplish all the things that we need to accomplish as humans and muscles are made up of cells just like the nervous system is so muscles can function less than optimally for a lot of different reasons Every one of us probably has experienced some kind of muscle injury, whether you were playing soccer and got kicked hard by a soccer ball, or you worked out really hard and experienced some delayed onset muscle soreness that made it hard to move around for a while. Those are muscle injuries that are typically reversible over time. There are also muscle injuries and conditions that affect the muscles more at the cellular level where the muscles themselves are being damaged slowly over time or they're not able to recover or maybe they don't have the type of kind of cellular materials that they need to stay strong. Uh, For instance, there are certain types of myopathies or muscular dystrophies that can change the strength and the ability to utilize the muscles. Sometimes it starts when a person is young, sometimes it happens when they get older, sometimes it's progressive, sometimes it's not, uh, but the muscular system can be affected in that way. Also important in the neuromuscular system are the tendons and the ligaments. So tendons connect muscles to bones and they act as a lever to move the bones. So if you want to kick a soccer ball, you have a big tendon that connects the quadriceps muscle to the bones below it. And that's what allows you when you turn on that muscle to make the leg move to kick the ball. You also have ligaments which attach bones to bones over joints. Those can be injured sometimes traumatically. For instance, if you um, tripped and fell, you could maybe tear a ligament, you could sprain your ankle, that's considered to be a ligament injury. But just as we talked about earlier with the muscles, these are typically reversible. Although sometimes if it's bad enough, it can require surgery to repair or replace it. But in general, if it's a relatively minor injury, it will typically heal on its own if you give it some time and some good care. At the cellular level, though, some people can have disorders in the building blocks of their tendons and ligaments. This typically refers to collagen disorders. Collagen is one of those building blocks that helps to give the ligaments and tendons their strength and their tension. It allows them to withstand force, it gives a joint structure and stability, it holds things in place. So while this isn't the most common thing to happen, there are quite a few people out there living with these types of disorders, and some of them will go maybe their whole life without being diagnosed. But even those that have a more severe form of it can go all through their childhood without anybody realizing that the pain and the discomfort that they keep complaining about might be because their joints are actually dislocating regularly. Now, for most of us, we don't dislocate our joints unless we have a serious trauma. If you fall out of a tree, you might dislocate your shoulder. But for someone with a condition, for instance, like EDS, which is um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, that person might dislocate their shoulder just because they reach behind them to grab something. And that is because of the structural integrity of the tendons and ligaments around the joint, but also the ability to know where that joint in place, uh, excuse me, that joint is in space, is all impaired because of the changes in the collagen. So... In those instances, the neuromuscular system can be affected on more of a global standpoint and it's at a much higher risk for injury and also just for affecting quality of life and ability to participate in athletics and social activities and sometimes just the day-to-day life activities that we all need to do, such as sitting in a chair without pain or, you know, writing and drawing and using the computer and getting ready in the morning. Now, if you haven't had a chance to look at some images of the central nervous system on, you know, the internet for instance, I would recommend doing so. The nervous system is a fantastic structure in the body. It is incredibly complicated and although every day we're learning more and more about it, I'm convinced that there is so much more that we're going to learn over time. So we'll start with the brain. So the brain is made up of four lobes so lobes are basically kind of areas of the brain that are responsible for different types of functions and they're actually uh, kind of anatomically divided structures if you look at the brain you can kind of see them if you're knowing what you're looking for so uh the frontal lobe is in the front so the frontal lobe has a lot of functions but some of the things it's responsible for is our motor function so the actual movement of the body It's also important in a lot of executive functioning like uh, decision making, deciding what's appropriate to say and not appropriate to say, for instance. Uh, Behind that is the parietal lobe. Uh, One of the main functions of the parietal lobe is sensation. So that's where we process a lot of our sensory information that we're getting from outside of our body. Uh, below that we have the temporal lobe, which as you can probably guess, goes right behind the temple bones. Uh, again, lots of different functions there, but um, language, especially on the left hand side of the temporal lobe, is one of the main functions that you'll see there. And then in the very back, kind of a, a closer to the base of the skull, is the occipital lobe. Uh, one of the important functions that we have there is vision. Uh, you also have the brainstem, which connects the bottom of the brain to the spinal cord, and the brainstem has a lot of very important uh, kind of baseline functions that kind of keep our body alive so a lot of our cranial nerves are there so the nerves that go out into the face and um, help us like move our eyes and open and close our mouth and salivate things like that you also have a lot of autonomic functions there so some of the things that help to keep us alive And then kind of behind that is the cerebellum, which is kind of a smaller area of the brain that has a lot of functions related to coordination and motor learning. And so that's one way that we can break down the brain is into those kind of anatomical lobes. Next thing that you want to look at is the fact that the those lobes of the brain can be further broken down into functional areas. So I already mentioned this a little bit. So for instance, you know, a lot of speech and language in that temporal lobe, reading and vision in the occipital lobe, um, body awareness and sensation in the parietal lobe, and so on and so forth. So why this is important is because if there is an injury or some kind of uh, change in the nerve function in that particular lobe, then we can expect to see a deficit in the function associated with that lobe. So, you know, I'm sure that there are small differences in everyone's brain in terms of exactly how big, you know, a particular area is and exactly how many cells are involved in each thing. But in general, if you take Five people that have an injury to the frontal lobe, you can expect to see similarities in their presentation depending on the severity. And that goes uh, the same for all the different areas of the brain. So that's how we can localize injuries sometimes. So if somebody is experiencing sudden loss of vision or, uh, you know, a sudden loss of coordination, then that gives doctors or clinicians a clue into what part of the brain may be affected. And similarly, if someone is looking at imaging and they can see a brain tumor in a certain area of the brain, then there is a particular clinical outcome that's associated with that because wherever that brain tumor is pressing on the brain and kind of impairing those cells from working, we can expect to see certain symptoms or deficits in that person's function. This kind of information can be really helpful, uh, especially as clinicians when you have a client or a patient coming in, kind of asking, why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? As a neuro outpatient physical therapist, I treat a lot of people who've had strokes and it's not uncommon for somebody to kind of look across the room and say, well, why am I experiencing these symptoms? And that person who also had a stroke across the room is experiencing something completely different. And this kind of information is what you can share with them to help them to understand what's going on with their body. So the brain is supplied by various vessels, kind of blood vessels that run from the heart, go up through the neck and into the brain and kind of spread out to supply the different areas. So if, you know, person A has a stroke in a particular blood vessel that is going to the front of the brain, and person B has a stroke in a blood vessel that's going to the back of the brain, then they're going to have different types of um, presentations, and that could be accounting for the difference. There's also a lot of differences that can occur based on you know, how severe the stroke was, how quickly someone was able to get treatment. Did they have a stroke that was a hemorrhagic or a bleeding type of stroke, or did they have an ischemic stroke where there was a loss of oxygen? So you know, there's a lot of differences there, but I think it's really important for us to be able to understand why I'm seeing the types of symptoms that I'm seeing in my own body. So, a similar type of story with someone who might have multiple sclerosis. So, if they have uh, multiple sclerosis, is a condition where these plaques develop in the central nervous system. So uh, you kind of get this deposit on the part of the nerve cell that carries the information and now all of a sudden the information is not being able to uh, be translated very effectively. So uh, if you take 10 people that have multiple sclerosis there's going to be some similarities in their presentation but at the same time everybody is likely experiencing uh variations of symptoms so everybody might have some weakness but it might be in a different place uh everyone might have some type of sensory impairment but it might be very different between people and that has to do with what part of the nervous system anatomy, what area of the brain, what part of the spinal cord, those plaques were laid down because everything is laid out in kind of this anatomical map. Now we see the same thing in the spinal cord. So the spinal cord goes from the brainstem, runs all the way down to the sacrum, and then the nerves extend uh, from there, which they're peripheral nerves at that point, but they kind of come down into the legs, they go out into the arms, they go into the abdominal area, and they are responsible for you know all the movement and sensation and some of the um, autonomic nervous system functions that we have. So if you were to take a slice of the spinal cord, every kind of segment of the spinal cord which corresponds to a particular vertebrae in the spine has nerves that go out to the body and innervate a particular part of the body. So if you have a spinal cord injury in your lower back, in your lumbar spine, most of your symptoms, uh, all of your symptoms will be below the level of that injury. So they'll be primarily in the legs um, and maybe kind of the lower part of the trunk depending on where it is. Similarly, if there's an injury to the cervical spinal cord, which is in the neck, then all um, motor and sensory function below that level is going to be affected. So we're talking about arms, potentially um, breathing might be affected if you're having changes in the muscles of the trunk and the rib cage, and then um, the legs as well will be affected. So Just like the brain kind of has this map on it if we take a section of the spinal cord we're going to see some areas mapped out on that as well so the spinal cord is filled with these long tracks of nerves so nerves that travel sometimes from the brain all the way down to the feet some of those are going to be sensory nerves bringing information from the outside world into the brain some of those are going to be motor nerves carrying signals from the brain out to the muscles and then depending on where you are, you'll have some autonomic nerves in there as well. Um, and then if you're, you know, depending on where it is also in the spinal cord, there will be areas that correspond to the right side of the body versus the left side of the body. The muscles closer to the trunk, muscles further away from the trunk. So uh, if someone has a complete spinal cord injury, meaning the spinal cord was severed all the way across or there was kind of a, could be a stroke that affects um. The spinal cord all the way across then what you expect to see is loss of motor and sensory function on all the nerves below that level if somebody has an incomplete spinal cord injury which means that just part of the spinal cord was injured that could be uh, due to a car accident it could be due to an infection um it could be due to a tumor in the spinal cord that's kind of compressing some area. Then you will see a loss of function or a change in function that's associated with that specific part of the spinal cord that's affected. So just like strokes and multiple sclerosis, spinal cord injuries are not necessarily the same across the board, especially if we're talking about an incomplete spinal cord injury. But once again, if you're a clinician that is looking at imaging and you kind of can see the area that's been affected, then there is gonna be a clinical presentation that you can expect and you can help your clients and, your, and their caregivers and families to understand a little bit more about why um, they're experiencing the things that they are and what that means uh, as far as outcome and recovery go. Now their peripheral nervous system, like I mentioned before, um, in large part is responsible for sending signals to the muscles to move the different parts of the body and also for bringing sensory information from the outside world into the brain. So there's a lot of different types of injuries or conditions that can result in a loss of function of these types of nerves. So for instance, um, somebody that has a peripheral neuropathy is going to experience a loss of either motor function or sensory function or both. So these people might experience numbness in their feet. They might uh, have muscle atrophy um, in their hands or their feet uh, and have a harder time getting around, having a harder time balancing and a lot of times someone might come to see you who've been diagnosed with a peripheral neuropathy and they're, you know, they wanna know what's going on with them. Why am I having a hard time balancing? Why am I falling? Why when I close my eyes in the shower do I almost fall every time? And if you can help to explain or understand what's going on in the anatomy, it helps somebody to be able to cope with those things better and also to be able to make decisions about what is the best treatment and how do I compensate for this? What can I expect long-term? and how is my body going to continue to change over time given what's going on at the kind of anatomy and physiology level. All right guys, we did it. So you guys might not be ready for a PhD in anatomy and physiology, but uh hopefully you have a better understanding of what's going on here in the nervous system and A better understanding of why you might be seeing what you're seeing and for those clinicians out there, some ways to kind of explain these things to your patients and uh, to their caregivers to help them to be better self-advocates. So this is going to be a good foundational start to what we're going to be talking about moving forward, and I'm thrilled to have you guys here, and I can't wait to see where this is going to go. I'm really looking forward to bringing as much information as I can that will help those of us who are out there treating and working with patients to become better clinicians, but also, and maybe even more importantly, help those of you guys out there who are dealing with these things day to day to be able to get a better understanding of uh, your own body and how to make the most of it and how to find good rehabilitation, what other types of resources and allied professionals are out there. And then hopefully I can bring you guys some examples of people living out in the community who are rocking it and hopefully have some great information, some great insights and advice that they can share with all of us. So with that, I'm going to leave you guys to it. Hang in there. Uh, let's Keep being a good community and taking care of each other. And I will see you guys again soon.